Welcome to Content Disrupted, bold takes on brand marketing. I'm your host, Dan Baptiste, and together we'll explore what it takes to excel in brand marketing at one of the most exciting and disruptive times in industry history. Welcome to Content Disrupted, bold takes on brand marketing. Joining us today is Scott Harkey, who's the global head of marketing and EVP of financial services and payments at IT services and consultancy firm Indava. Try saying that five times fast. Scott is a regular Forbes contributor. He's a 40 under 40. I think you hold, what, 12 patents in the payments technology space and a self-confessed digital payments nerd. But nerds run the world, so I think you're in good company, Scott. So really excited to have you on. Thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks, Dan. I really appreciate it. Yeah, lots of adjectives and words in there, but I claim at least 80% of that intro is true. Awesome. My wife suggested we play Two Truths and a Lie, so maybe we'll get to that later. (laughs) So Scott, really excited to chat with you today. And a lot of why I personally was excited is this level of pressure that we're all under. Not excited to be under pressure, but as marketers, there's this pressure to drive sustained growth, not only long-term, but also like right right now. And you have a history of doing that in lots of different roles and in, in organizations here. So love to unpack that, mine your secrets, see if we can get those and kind of socialize them out to the world. But before we do that, we'd love to kind of level set here. So you're the global head of marketing at Indava. Tell us about the company, your role, what you're tasked with, and how you're thinking about growth there. Yeah, absolutely. So as you said in the intro, we're an IT services company. Do everything from the kind of early strategy and really helping organizations think about how to approach technology problems all the way through really large-scale build efforts. So we're largely behind the scenes. Most people haven't heard of us, but they probably are interacting with a product or service that we've built or we've been part of building. So very much kind of helping to build the infrastructure and underlying parts of the tech that a lot of us use and interact with every day. Global company headquartered in the UK. I'm based in the US and Charlotte, North Carolina, but we've got offices all over the world and continue to grow pretty aggressively. So latest being really a a big push into APAC as we've acquired a couple of companies in Australia and are really pushing into that region. So deep in the technology space and all things kind of new, modern and leveraging tech to help solve customer problems is fundamentally what we do. Very cool. And what role does marketing play in growth? Like, are you product, sales-led, marketing-led? Like, how are you guys structured? Yeah, I would say largely sales-led. And I think that's a big part of the transformation we're under, we're going through from a marketing standpoint is really kind of elevating the status of marketing in the organization. And Dava has had the benefit of having a lot of success over the years. We're a 23-year-old company, have really strong growth over that time period. And a lot of our business comes from repeat customers. You know, that's fantastic from a business perspective. I think if there is a downside to that, the downside is that when you go into new regions or into new markets, you don't have that underlying customer base to necessarily leverage, right? So I think that's where marketing takes on an even more important role for helping generate demand and helping really drive the organization into these new regions. And because of our continued global expansion, Really, the last five years or so, we really started to up our game around marketing and given it a more elevated status of you know, how can it be a key part of helping drive those revenue goals? How can it be a key part of helping drive growth in conjunction with the predominantly sales-led organization thus far? Interesting. I noticed in your background, kind of an atypical role into head of marketing. If there is a natural role into the head of marketing these days, you can kind of come in from a lot of different angles here. But where did you get your marketing chops? And do you feel like the experience to this point, helping design products and large-scale efforts have 
set you up to look at marketing differently in the chair that you're in now? Yeah, I'm a very untraditional marketer for sure. I tell that to my team all the time. A lot of the people in my team have way more experience than I do when it comes to the nuts and bolts of operating you know, various marketing functions. And so I very much lean on them for a lot of perspective and strategy around that. I think for me personally, I had a pretty different journey in that my first job out of college was actually at a bank and then spent the first 15 years of my career in large banks, ended up being Wells Fargo for about 10 years and then Bank of America for another five years. Technology roles, very focused on large scale technology projects and delivering those and some really cool strategic stuff in the payment space around Apple Pay and a bunch of other things. But really just getting that enterprise perspective is to essentially our customer today, right? What is that point of view? How are they thinking about technology and leveraging it? What are the real hard parts of actually bringing these projects to life or these products to life? And that kind of then went into, I left Bank of America and helped build up the early stages of a consulting company. So a much smaller IT services company based here in the U.S. called Level. And we build it from nothing, ultimately, to the acquisition of it by Indava. And through that journey, which is about six or seven years, was really just focused on the overall go-to-market of the company. So started more on the sales side of really, again, we're a small company, no real team. How do we drive revenue? How do we actually go sell stuff, right? How do we grow as a company? And building that kind of from scratch up into all right, as we get more sophisticated with that, how do we now look at marketing and the role that it plays beyond just some brand and making sure that people kind of know who we are? How do we start using it to drive growth? Had a really good employee that showed me a lot of that. I actually learned quite a bit from him named George Linville that really showed me kind of his playbook of how he thought about marketing. Learned a lot from that, grew that over, again, the six or seven years. And then as I came into Indaba as part of the acquisition, really tried to just apply a lot of that learning from building Level into how do we look at doing it at a much larger scale. So Level was about 250 people. Indaba is around 12,000 people. Global, clearly different job, right? But really looking at some of the same kind of underlying principles of how do you leverage different channels? How do you look at the kind of combination of the brand marketing and really driving the people knowing who we are? and what we do with establishing our expertise and our reputation, if you will, within certain industry domains. The linkage between what we were doing at Level and what we're still pushing at Indaba was really rooted in this idea of being subject matter experts in the areas where we want to be known and then pushing hard on really seeding that knowledge and point of view out into the market. Now, today, that's pretty normal, right? That's kind of the modern way of doing marketing. But certainly 10 years ago, it was still a little bit around, you know, thinking about brand, thinking about general clicks, and just that kind of engagement as opposed to what are we ultimately generating on the other side of all that engagement, right? What is the end outcome in terms of revenue or in terms of impacted revenue? That we're getting to and keeping a focus on that much more so than the how many downloads did that white paper get or you know how many people join the webinar so a much more holistic approach to looking at marketing looking at the impact of marketing that's great if we take a step back that journey must have been crazy right growing 20 times revenue and then i'm sure this next journey is <laughs> equally crazy stepping into a role of this magnitude you know all kind of new learnings but talk to me about how you personally grew from year one to year six and seven? And what did you learn? Anything unexpected over that time? What did year one look like versus year six and seven as far as the maturity of your organization? Yeah, certainly one of the things I learned definitely along the way from people in the team and peers was the viewpoint I have now around marketing and what we build is very much oriented around this idea of building a machine, right? And I think in the early days, it was more about individual tactics in my mind of, okay, we either do a webinar, we do a white paper, generally we create a piece of content 
And then we track engagement with that content. And then we determine, well, was it good? Was it bad? Do we do more? Do we less, right? And thinking of it as these kind of individual tactics or campaigns, right? To building more of a machine that we could look at things like nurturing, things like account-based marketing, where it becomes more about the pattern of interaction with prospective clients over time and trying to increase that, right? Trying to ultimately drive more of a, how do we build a machine or a mechanism or a set of tools that can create constant engagement? And I always word it as targeting the right people at the right time with the right message, right? Like ultimately that's what we're trying to do. I've never been fortunate enough to work at a place that had a massive marketing budget where we could just blanket the world with ads everywhere we go. And you know, you're just going for spreading it everywhere. Not that I think that's necessarily the best strategy, but it sure would be nice sometimes to be able to just put your name on everything that exists. I've always had to be way more thoughtful about the budget that we have and way more targeted and trying to be really conscious of how we make the most impact. And I think that's probably the thing that I learned the most over time was just in the value of building the machinery so that that's not a every time is like a new time starting over, but it becomes about how do you build the things that just run? And then how do you kind of supplement that with specific campaigns or tactics that really amplify that over time? And so that's been probably the biggest part of the journey. I think as we've moved into Indaba, the other part that's been added now is just the scale of it, right? When we were at level, we focused pretty hard on payments in particular, a little bit in financial services. And the benefit of that was despite the fact that we had business in other industries, we decided to focus our marketing pretty heavily on those industries which allowed us to have a way louder voice in that space, right? Because it was, hey, we are the experts in these couple of use cases or these particular types of problems. And so we could do quite a bit of content around that, quite a bit of thought leadership around that and make a real impression because we had a really strong voice. As we scale that into a global organization with lots of industry and verticals, that's kind of the challenge of the day, right? Is how do you do something similar to that? How do you build the machinery to do that? But where you want to be known for lots of different things, and how do you not just create a really noisy channel, right? Probably the hardest part of that are things like social media channels or the website where you have one outlet for the whole company or one voice for the whole company, but you're talking to lots of different audiences, right? And trying to figure out the rhythm of how often do you post different types of content? How do you look at the target market for that content and segment it in a channel that doesn't allow segmentation and the main voice writer and the main feed? Those are definitely the challenges of today that I'm still trying to work through a little bit. Have you made any progress? Are you getting any footing in any areas or are you just still trying to figure out the path forward? Yeah, I think it's probably channel by channel, right? I think there's certainly channels where we've gotten pretty good, I think, at targeting the customers we want to target. If you think about ads and stuff like that, it's very easy, right? It's very easy to do market segmentation and run ads or other things at specific targets and identifying the personas of the buyers and really flowing it through that way. So that stuff feels pretty easy. As you look at other channels, whether it's a podcast or it's a different type of media, looking at video, again, in a platform where you can segment users through the tools of the platform, a LinkedIn, et cetera, it's pretty easy, right? It's pretty easy to target. I would probably be exaggerating or I'd probably be speaking too overconfidently if I said we had it figured out in some of the other channels where, like I said, I think of something like the website all the time where we're going through a major website redesign right now. We're rebuilding things kind of from the ground up. And in just in thinking about some of those top level pages, right, it's really hard as to we have 12 industries that we cover and we have really strong stories in all those industries. So what do you put on the main page? What do you feature? Right. And how do you make sure that you've got it balanced so that 
if someone only goes to Indaba.com and doesn't take the opportunity to dig deeper, they walk away with the right impression of who we are and what we do. There's not going to be at the depth that we would want it to be, but we at least want them to know that, hey, we're not just a payments company or, hey, we don't just do this one thing. And so the website is a good example, I think, of the real challenge there of how do you communicate enough of that in a top level so that people will explore deeper, right, and learn more about us. But yeah, I think it's hit or miss, right? Like I said, I think there's some channels where I feel like we've got it pretty dialed in. And there's other channels where we're absolutely still trying to figure it out. Yeah, we've seen that globally within a lot of these organizations and that matter. The magnitude of that challenge gets even greater when you expand into regions and countries and how folks think about those problems and solutions differently as you kind of scan out to the world. Yeah. I mean, language is another one, right? We're a UK headquartered company. British English is slightly different, right? Then I'll say, you know, North American English or American English. Which do you use, right? Which feels more comfortable to the end user, to an Indaba.com? It's easy when you're talking different language, right? Because you know who you're targeting. And if I'm going to be speaking to a German audience, then I need to be speaking in German, right? I need content in German. But the subtleties of the English language, even between US, Canada, UK, and Australia, I mean, that's a decision you have to make. And there's consequences either way, right? Whether you sound more British or you sound more American is a conscious choice and it has impacts. And then how do you maintain consistency in that? And so, yeah, there's all kinds of nuances that come in with a global company and the messaging around those things. As I mentioned earlier, we've done some acquisitions in Australia and are starting to build out the kind of go-to-market in Australia as part of the broader Vendava brand. And it's the same kind of challenge, again, of slightly different language. You know, you look at things like case studies and examples of client success stories. Some resonate, some don't. You know, how do you know what's going to resonate, what's not? You can use your local leadership to guide some of that. But some of that's just test and learn. And I think that's another big part of marketing to me is just being comfortable with the test and learn, right? Whether it's ads or copy that you're trying to test or things like this, where we can guess at what will resonate or we can do better and guess, right? We can use data and try to decipher what will resonate. But fundamentally, until we put it out there and see what the engagement is or what the reaction is, we don't really know. And so being comfortable with that, that we think of things from a let's iterate through it. It's not, this is not a let's spend you know, a long time thinking about it to get it perfect and then put it out there. It's a, let's get something out there. Let's try it. Let's see what works. Let's iterate through it and keep moving forward. And I think that's a big part of the, the kind of growth mindset to me is the constant evolution, not thinking of it as a specific, this is the way and thinking more of it as a, this is a thing we're trying. And then this is another thing we're trying and we're going to keep trying it and keep evolving. I'd love to piggyback on that, the evolution of the enterprise or the organization toward a growth mindset kind of never done and bring that back to the machine that you described. So when we look at marketing departments in general, they've largely grown up in this distributed fashion where everyone has their little island. Rarely do those islands coexist, you know, and everything is kind of fragmented, measured and executed in distributed points. And what we're seeing is this idea to come back as a collection or a team that is surrounding around the needs of the customer, especially as you move globally. But there's a ton of complexity there, right? Like everybody's goals are different, their needs are different. And if they're not operating as a global governance organization, instead of saying like, okay, what are the needs and how do we communicate this in China versus Australia versus North America, you know, versus, 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 and then channel product industry, right? Like how do you manage building a unified organization and driving consensus when you have to navigate 
individual goals and political stuff? Like, have you faced that in the organizations that you've seen? Yeah, a little bit. I think the biggest part of that that probably resonates is just the organization of it itself. How do you have the right conversations with the right people to keep people in sync and or, you know, set direction? I think the way as an organization that we've aligned is from levels of organization is we're industry first, right? So we form vertical industry teams that include our sales teams, our deliveries teams, and a marketing kind of counterpart as part of that to really drive the go-to-market for a given vertical. And what that means is because that's a team that includes sales, the, the delivery team, so the team responsible for you know actually bringing those client projects to life and managing them as well as marketing is that they tend to develop a pretty good rhythm about being in sync as to what the go-to-market is going to look like, how it's going to be executed. And so then they have planning activities and cadences built around that. So every year at the beginning of our fiscal year, per vertical, they will create kind of a plan for the year. This is roughly how we're going to look at go-to-market. It's going to be these kinds of activities spread over this timeline, all the way down to mapping it out into a calendar, right? Of like in November, we know we're going to do a white paper. In December, we know we have this big event. So off of it, we're going to build these three or four other things. And then the execution through the year is just kind of building to that overarching plan. So if it's something that's got three months of lead time because there's prep or there's research that needs to be done or something else, everybody's in sync as to what that's going to be. And, and it's kind of planned for and managed that way. So I think that's been super effective in helping keep the teams in sync. I think the other piece of that is the upfront planning that happens. One of the things that the team asks each of our vertical leads is, what are the top three or four problems in your industry that you feel like are problems that relate to us? What are the Indaba solutions to solve those problems? And then who specifically do you want to target with those solutions, right? Like name customers. And so the idea is at the very beginning of the year to kind of anchor around the challenge with selling IT services is what we fundamentally sell is smart people who can solve problems. No one wants to buy that, right? People want to buy a solution to a specific problem. And so the sales job and the marketing job becomes about how do you articulate that? How do you take the kind of core thing that you have, which is really smart people that are good technologists and can solve practically any problem? And how do you kind of productize that into something people will buy, which is, hey, I have this very specific use case. I'm trying to enable real-time payments. Can you help me enable real-time payments? Like, well, of course we can but I have to talk to you about that through the lens of how we've solved that problem before. That's always the challenge with versus a product company where you have a product, it does a set of things, you've got to find the market for that product, but describing the product is fairly easy, right? It's got a core set of things that it does, it's got problems that it solves, et cetera. Services is very different because we have to form the solution to the problem through the conversation as we understand more about what the problem is. Because our raw material is brain power, right? It's highly skilled people. So all that to say that that anchoring around only a couple of industry problems per vertical, I found to be a really key part of that. I think the tendency is to try to go out and say we do everything. I think the maturization of sales and marketing has been about focus. It's been about, hey, we can't go out and say we can solve any problem. We need to pick a couple of problems that we feel like we're really, really good at solving and we need to go out and market those. Now, it doesn't mean we don't do other stuff or that if someone came to us, we wouldn't talk about that. Of course we would. But to effectively market something, I feel like it's got to be precise enough that you can build a really strong message around it. And then you can organize people around how you best communicate that message. 
And I think that's kind of the rhythm that we built. And we're not perfect. There's still lots of room to do it better. And not every industry vertical is at the same kind of level in doing that. Some are way more mature than others. But that's the goal we kind of reach towards. I love that. I think as the content space has grown up early on, to your point, it was about engagement metrics and audience acquisition. And did people attend the webinar? As it's matured, it's how do we think about the entire life cycle of the customer and how content can play a role, even you know, post-close and driving affinity or thinking about other use cases and things like that. So I love that. I do have a question as you were describing the kind of squads at the industry level of, you know, sales, marketing and product for that kind of trifecta. Are those three people or is that team larger at an industry level? Yeah, it definitely can be larger. And I think geography plays another role in that. We've actually kind of pivoted this year of Originally, we had identified a vertical for marketing, a vertical lead per geography, kind of major geography. So a U.S. lead for payments as a vertical, and then we would have a U.K. lead for payments as a vertical. The idea being that the execution of marketing tactics often happens regionally, right? So while the strategy may be global of in payments, these are the three or four things we're going to talk about. The way we talk about them or the way we execute them tends to be slightly different regionally, either because there's different events or there's different channels, which would be better to communicate through. Give an example of we do work in UAE in that region. People still read newspapers a lot. Right. And so when you think of putting content out, getting in the paper is actually a pretty important part of content delivery. We would never do something like that in the U.S. Right. It wouldn't make any sense. So having enough knowledge of the regional nuances was an important part of that. But what we found was that that actually created a friction point for the sales and delivery vertical leads because they're like, well, I don't have to go to three different marketing people, right? Like I'm thinking about payments as a whole holistic global thing. I want to interact with a person from marketing who can think about it that way with me. So this year we pivoted the team a little bit and we created a global lead from marketing. So there is a person from marketing at that strategy level and then more localized execution teams. So then they have teams that may be made up of people in different regions. So where then it comes to the tactics by which we carry out that strategy, then we can regionalize it. And I think that may work. It may not work, right? I mean, I told the team from the beginning of like, we're going to try a bunch of stuff. It's not all going to work, but we're going to keep trying and we're going to keep evolving. One thing, what the level experience taught me because it was super high growth, starting from very, very small to a little bit bigger, is that in a high growth company, you're constantly changing because you have to, right? If anything sits still for even a year, there's something that you'll outgrow or something that won't work anymore. And so just being in the mindset of if you want it to be calm and consistent of this is just the way we're going to look, you probably need to go somewhere else because it won't be that way. We don't want it to be that way because that means we're stagnant, right? That means we're not growing anymore. So it's always finding the balance between, you know, adjusting to the needs of the business, adjusting to the market changes. We used to do a lot of cold calling, you know, five, 10 years ago as a business. That was a huge part of how we did lead generation was cold calling and cold outreach. It doesn't work anymore, right? Like putting junior people on the phone to cold call prospective customers does not work anymore from just a pure like finding actual revenue. So that's again, that's something where we look at it differently and say, all right, well, rather than do it that way, how can we build more of that through marketing, more of that awareness, more of that early demand generation, and then use junior salespeople, you know, a BDR role, et cetera, 
to have that first conversation and to do more qualification and, you know, kind of background and evolution of the lead as opposed to finding it in the first place. It's just these constant evolutions and tweaks, right, of who played what role in the flow or in the, the funnel, if you will, that I think are a big part of staying modern and staying up to date. When you think of the tactics that have changed, you mentioned cold calling was less effective. Now marketing is playing more of a starring role at the early stage. What are some of the tactics and plays and execution elements that are working really well today for you guys? You know, things like podcasts and video blogs and things like that, certainly seeing more and more traction from that. I think that the key on any of those is keeping the view of the channel, right? And what is the ultimate impact of the channel as opposed to any singular piece of content? That's probably one of those biggest kind of evolutions or learnings for me personally is just in look at the impact of the channel and its over overall contribution to the business as opposed to being too critical of any single piece of content. I think the other thing is just some of the nurturing more generally. The idea of just thinking of the life cycle of a customer, prospective customer is starting way before they ever talk to us and never ending, right? Like it doesn't ever end. And building the tooling, building the set of processes from a both operational standpoint, as well as the underlying tools to actually be able to operate that way. So to be able to create content that gets targeted to a prospective buyer before we ever know who they are, to follow their engagement with the brand, with the company, with the content over time through various channels, to weave that into the sales flow seamlessly so that if a salesperson does end up talking to someone at an event or somewhere that's kind of out of the path, if you will, that that's integrated into the same dashboards and the same tracking that we're looking at from a marketing perspective so that we're not blind to that, that we know, hey, they actually just met with a salesperson. So let's not send them content that you know assumes that they've never talked to us before. So I think just really keeping that holistic view of the customer and following them through their journey. And then as you mentioned, right, even after they're already a customer, not thinking of that as like end of the job, right, from a marketing standpoint, but it continues. We continue to want to nurture their relationship with us. We want to continue to want to add value to them. So the way we do that probably changes, right? One of the things we've been doing with podcasts we have is starting to engage more with some of our customers and our partners in the podcast. It's another way to engage them. Not only are we producing content that we feel like is useful to others that may reach it, but it actually is a really good way to strengthen relationship with our customers and our partners as well, because we get to share a forum with them. We get to have a conversation and allow them an opportunity to share some of their ideas and insight. So I think those are some of the things that we definitely you know, feel like are working for us. We're still really early in all this in the grand scheme of things, and we've got a lot to do still and a lot to learn. But those are certainly some of the things that we feel the most optimistic about. You mentioned connection between like metrics and platforms and content, but has it been tricky to get the vocabulary consistent? Meaning, you know, if you're telling a story or talking about your services in a particular way, and then they talk to a BDR, and then they talk to a salesperson, and then they get marketing, like how do you unify that story across multiple touch points? Yeah, I think it's a great question and certainly a challenge, especially when you then span that over multiple geographies, right? As much as we can, we try to, as marketing, help create some of the collateral. And I think that can then drive a lot of the messaging. So the kind of foundational decks that we use to introduce Indav as a company, we make the template for those in marketing and then kind of seed them out to the sales teams. Some of these stories that we tell, whether it's things like battle cards, which contain a bunch of the case studies and kind of quick hit information. Again, we try to play an active role in creating those. We centralize a lot of the case studies and the sales collateral in a centralized tool that marketing manages and maintains it. We don't necessarily create everything in it, 
but we kind of curate the best of it, right, into a tool that a lot of the salespeople have access to. So I think some of them are things like that. It is definitely a challenge, and it's certainly a challenge as you bring new people into the company, right? As we hire new salespeople, that's always one of the hardest things is how do we get them to think and talk in the way that we talk as a company? Because you want to allow a little bit room for new people, new ideas, and you know they may have a better way of talking about it or a better way of resonating. You don't want to take that away from them. But trying to find that balance and ultimately make sure they understand, you know, how do we talk about it as Indava? And I'll give you an example from the sales side of that of one of the things we do is after someone's been here, a new salesperson for 90 days, we essentially have them pitch to us as a leadership team and who Indava is, right? And we role play, we're a customer, you're pitching Indava to us. And we critique them on the deck they use, the way they tell the story, you know, how do they talk about our capabilities? And little things like that are, I think, a part of it. One of the things that I also think is valuable, and this is clearly biased because it's about me, but I have two roles in Indava, which I think are actually really helpful. One is I run the marketing team, but I also run a portion of our sales team. And the fact that I run that sales team, I think it gives me a perspective into how the team operates and what the needs of the team are as well as the converse, right? What the marketing interaction is with sales team and what the marketing needs are. That I think really helps to create some of that synergy between the two where the conversation I'm having with my sales lead about content or about kind of go-to-market messaging is the same I'm having with a marketing lead. There's no variation in it because it's both coming from me. Now, that's just a portion of the business from a sales standpoint, but I think it helps to establish some of those rhythms and perspectives where we kind of build the story together, if you will. So I think there are things like that that can be really beneficial as well. Do you think part of that is having skin in the game, right? Like your gold from sales versus gold from marketing leads, you're not all the way to revenue, which is a typical kind of structure. Do you think if there was a tie to revenue that there would be almost a forced synergy because the goals are aligned? I definitely think that's part of the story. I mean, and we push the marketing team to think of it that way as well, right? Of That while we may track other statistics, and we're not there yet in our ability to track this really cleanly. Our ultimate goal is to track marketing's contribution to revenue and feel confident in getting in front of our executive team and saying that this is what we contributed to revenue. Again, so it's a pretty ambitious goal from a tooling standpoint as well as an actual performance standpoint. But I think that's how you have to look at it, right? I think at the end of the day, again, especially in an organization where marketing has not necessarily been at the forefront because of how well we've done from just a pure sales standpoint and a client retention standpoint, I feel like you have to be able to step up and kind of own that part of the story, at least aspirationally, right? And we've got a lot of support from our executive team in building that out and recognizing that this is kind of a new evolution of the company. This is a new push into this area. And so that is the one benefit I have is there's not a lot of really hard pressured expectations of you should be at these metrics by this period in time. It's recognized as a growth journey, right? It's recognized as we need to be measuring progress. We need to be showing impact. I didn't step into a role where it was like, did you hit this metric this quarter, right? Which is nice because it gives you room to really kind of build it out. Again, still accountable, but with a little bit of room to kind of prove that out. I do think it has an impact in the sense of, I think having the sales role gives me additional credibility from the marketing side to the organization more broadly, because there is that implied feeling of what you describe, 
I absolutely have revenue ownership of a portion of the business. And so I'm going to leverage marketing in every way I can to help make that successful. That I think plays into how the two organizations fit together. And my boss who manages both, right? Like he clearly is aligned to that. And that's his objective with me and the team, right? Is that that's kind of the point, right? Is that we're building those synergies between the two and driving the organization that way. Do you think that that level of change and synergy has to come from the top? In a lot of the organizations that we see, there's a level of almost like apathy where like, oh, I wish I could operate like this, but like, oh my God, it's like goes through chain of chain of chain of chain and I have to wait for instructions. You know, like, is there a way to operate at an industry level or a cross-functional team level to start driving change from the middle? Or do you think it has to come from the top? Ooh, that's a good question. I've been fortunate that in the two companies where I've played a role like this, the first one, I was part of the ownership team and leadership team, and there was no one to have to ask, right? So it was very easy and we could just go do what we needed to go do. Certainly in Indaba, I've been given a lot of room to do that from our executive team. I struggle with a lot of these things. When we work with clients around transformation kind of more generally, I feel like if the alignment isn't at the very top, it's always really hard. You may be able to create pockets, right? Where you can try a new thing or you can operate in a different way or you can create some progress. But fundamentally, with a really large organization, I feel like if there's not the kind of overarching support and belief and communication of how they would like the teams to operate, it just falls apart in lots of different ways, right? And so it probably depends on the span of someone's role. If you're in an area where, you know, you have a partner on the sales side or other partners in the organization, in your kind of group of people, you can drive impacts. You have some kind of decision-making ability within that group and you can align, then you can probably make a real impact within that context, right? But if you're in a role where you're having to regularly interact with other parts of the organization and you need their support and advocacy to push things forward, I feel like it's really, really hard if you don't have an overarching executive, again, not only support, but also the vocalization of the desired outcome or the desired pattern of behavior. It feels almost sad to say that, right? Because I want to be able to say like, no, absolutely, Everyone can go impact change and can drive this, but I'm really skeptical, right, about the room of which you can really do that without overarching leadership. Yeah, I think there's scale of change, right? Like I could create change at a product level, an industry or a business unit level, but I can't create change at the enterprise level, right? But maybe I could model the way, but then to your point earlier, if I don't show that to leadership and have them embrace and run with it, then that change is small, right, versus holistic. Yeah, I'm a fighter, right? So I'm always going to hope for, and I would never discourage anyone from, if you've got a way of doing something that you feel like is better for the organization, if it's pure of heart, right? Like if it is truly not about like what advantages you as an individual, and it's about what is better for the organization, I think you always push those things. You always fight as hard as you can to be heard and to progress the organization forward. I personally am just not a complacent person. I would not stay somewhere where I felt like I had to just do it the crappy way because that was what was defined. So my advice is always, you got to push, you got to try, you got to make sure it's not about personal gain as opposed to company gain. But I think you always have to try to push and advocate and drive change because that's the only way that organization will change. It's the only way it'll get better, right? If everybody's just like, oh, well, defeatist, guess I can't really do anything in my little world. Well, then the organization is going to suck, right? Because it's going to get stuck and nothing will move forward. So despite how hard I think it is, I think I would always advocate for people to push and try to impact change. 
That's a great, great point. You've been on the forefront of innovation, change, transformation, not only with your clients, but with your companies. So as you look at this field over the next three years or so, where do you see things headed? Where do you see the disruption taking place, further disruption? And what can folks start to do now to prepare for what could happen in two or three years in the industry? Yeah, I think kind of as broad strokes, it's going to get harder and harder to reach people as marketers, right? I think there's so much noise, especially in the B2B space. The buyers are changing how they learn about companies, how they want to engage. I think if you play out a little further than a couple of years is the demographic shift of more and more younger people coming into decision-making positions and the tools or the platforms they're using to consume content. I think a lot of content strategy is going to have to shift. You know, the places where we're looking at content marketing today probably start to shift. You know, I think the video platforms, the TikTok and other things start to have a real role and even in a business context, right? Which I think are kind of, you know, from a product perspective, consumer perspective is already clearly part, right? But I think from a B2B perspective as well, you're going to start to see some of those platforms actually start to become pretty important targets for certain messaging and certain content that you're trying to get out there. But I think probably more broadly, it's trying to find your buyers, trying to find where best to reach them. My personal opinion is that there's not going to be as much of a single platform approach to that as it is going to be a broad strategy across a bunch of different platforms over time, measuring the impact of a channel or a platform to see what lands, what doesn't, how does that overall impact not only engagement, but also obviously pushing through into revenue, getting better with the data of trying to look at segmentation and other things. I think as we get more and more data available, the challenge then becomes in what you do with it, right? And how do you weave it into the actual operational side of things so that you're not just analyzing what happened, but you're actually weaving it into how do we adjust what we do going forward? Some of the more real-time reaction to whether it's statistics about you know performance of certain campaigns or engagement or whatever it may be. I think looking at how do you get efficient with content? How do you record a podcast with video and put it on YouTube, put it into podcast platforms, and do clips of it and put it into paid social, right? Things like that, where you're not thinking of content as a, oh, I'm going to make this piece of content for this channel. You're thinking of, I'm going to make a piece of content that communicates a certain part of my messaging or whatever. And then I'm going to find the best way to use it across a whole different set of channels, because I don't know which one's going to land, right? I don't know which one's going to make the most impact. So I'm going to use it to experiment. So those are some of the big things for me. Like I think it's just trying to look at different platforms and channels, trying to find different ways to use data to segment and to better target, continuing to drive nurturing and generally just recognition of, again, especially in the B2B space, just the length of time that you need to be thinking about of the footprint or the interaction pattern that you have of prospective customer and then the actual customer, that idea of it being never ending, and then thinking of the long tail of that, of what content is relevant or what messaging is relevant to a existing customer? How do I deepen their relationship with the brand over time? Just that longer journey side of it. Yeah, I think that pays off an earlier comment you made, which was it's not about the asset, it's about a collection of assets or a channel. And now, as you play that out even further, it's about the message and how does it create an ecosystem of value across all channels? And then we'll have to figure out attribution and (laughs) all that fun stuff. But I love that. And we're absolutely speaking the same language over here, which is very, very cool. I could talk about this stuff all day, but I know you have a day job. We had some uh, quick, fast, fun speed round questions that we ask everybody. So I'll shoot these off. 
first thing that comes to mind and then we'll hit the next one. You ready? Yep. Let's go for it. As a marketer, what keeps you up at night? Consistency in messaging globally. What keeps you going? Constantly learning from the team and from peers and just constantly being amazed with new ideas and new ways of doing things that we haven't tried and that are fun to go try. What marketing term do you love? Amplification or amplifying. I love the idea of thinking of marketing as amplifying the brand or the things you're already doing. That's a big thing that's resonated internally. It was just the idea of it should be about taking the things we already do and just being louder about them, right? It's not about inventing things we don't do or stretching. And that's very much kind of the personality and the ethos of the company. We do a lot of great work. We often are very kind of passive about talking about it. And so this whole marketing journey is about how do we amplify it, right? How do we be proud of the things that we do and tell more people about it? And so I love that word and it means a lot into the journey that we're on. What marketing term do you hate? Attribution? No, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say I hate it. But I think it limits the thinking sometimes, right? I completely get the importance of it. But I feel like if you think too much about that side of things, you can miss out on the overall kind of impact or value you can have because you're so focused on like, well, I won't do it unless I can tie it back to a metric and make it, you know, I need to prove that like we added that value. And again, I get it from a business standpoint and a decision maker standpoint. But I do think if you focus on it too much, it can limit your creative thinking about how could we really engage with our customers in ways sometimes that we just can't track, right? That we just know is good for the business, but that we can't necessarily track. And so I hate it when people or organizations are so attached to attribution that it rules the day. Yeah, it can definitely shrink thinking and it can turn everything into some sort of a direct response mechanism, which just that's death. Okay. What emoji best describes the current state of marketing? The first thing that came to mind was the wave, like the little wave emoji. If I feel like we're riding a wave of just all this stuff happening, all this new digital tools, new platforms, and we're just trying to ride that wave, right? Trying to figure out how to use all these emerging platforms, all this emerging technology to have the most impact. So that's the first thing that came to mind. Very cool. Quality or quantity? Quality. And as a record executive, can I call you that? Are you a record label executive? Yes. Beatles or Stones? I'm more of a Rage Against the Machine yes. kind of guy. Yes. <laughs> I knew I liked you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely Beatles. Definitely Beatles. Awesome. Well, Scott, this has been a real pleasure. Like I said, I could ask you questions all day and pick your brain. I think it's been very insightful. I think you've provided a ton of value and we really appreciate your time. Awesome. Thanks so much, Dan. And thanks so much for having me. It's been awesome. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to Content Disrupted, brought to you by Skyward. To stay up to date on the latest ideas and insights in brand building and content marketing, visit our website at skyward.com. That's S-K-Y-W-O-R-D.com. Join us for our next episode, where we'll continue to challenge marketing norms and inspire you with fresh strategies for growing business through brand storytelling.